So right now, we are uh, in the middle, in the second week of our series called All In. It's kind of a kickoff for the entire year. Um, and basically, what this series is about and what it's meant to do is to remind us as a community um, of what God is doing here in Monmouth County and what our role, what our responsibility is with it. Um, we want to go all in on God's mission to reach people in this area, in this county, um, in the world around us that, um, who don't know Jesus yet. That's, that's what this church is all about. We don't exist for ourselves, but we actually exist for the people who are not yet here. And that's, that's just what we're about. Um, last week, we kicked off this series basically by saying that if we're able to go out into the world and love the people who are in need, who are in our path, if we're able to love them with the kind of love that Jesus displayed, what's going to happen is they're going to see God's heart through us. That's how they're going to be able to, um, you know, kind of be connected. And so um, we're talking about inviting and inspiring and leading people to follow Jesus. And this morning, we're going to focus on really inviting people to see, to follow Jesus. We want to put tools in your hands so that you can do this better. And one of the tools that we uh, have and we want you to have is this right here. Do you know what this is? This is a Park Church car magnet. We have two versions, colorful and not colorful. We have a stack of them on the welcome desk, and we would love for you to put one of these on the back of your car. And part of it, it just gets the name of the church out there, because a lot of people don't even know we exist. Like, people who drive past Park Road on Hope every single day have no idea that we exist. That's number one. But number two, you're at the soccer game, and you're parked next to your friend, and you're getting your kids in the car, and they see this on the back of your car, and they know that you're a part of a church, and maybe they're going to ask you about it. And that gives you an opportunity to talk about your involvement at Park Church and what it means to you and all that kind of stuff. However, I want to warn you with this. This also can work in the other way. A few weeks ago, I have one of these on the back of my car, color, not black and white, the fun one. Um, I have one of these in the back of my car, and I was uh, late getting home. My wife needed me to like, be home at a certain time. I was late to get there. I was down in Bradley Beach, so I was coming up. I went up Hope Road. I was uh, right on the other side of the intersection where 36 and Hope Road and the Parkway meet, right? And I'm behind this car with a New York license plate who is driving kind of slow, and I'm getting frustrated because I need to get to where I'm going. And we get to the Hope Road um, 36 Parkway intersection. And if you've been to that intersection, you know that light takes forever. If you miss that light, you are done for. It's like a half hour you have to wait at that thing. <laughs> and so we're at that thing, and she's so slow, and she doesn't go when the light turns green. Or she goes up like a few feet. And I'm like, oh, man, this is someone from New York who is trying to illegally turn left to get onto the parkway to go back home. She doesn't know about jug handles. What's with her? <laughs> and so I lay on the horn. Lay on it. I am, and I don't do that usually, but I was, I was late. It was my fault. I'm frustrated. Like, I lay on that horn. And I'm like, Mah! I look up, and there's an ambulance coming. She wasn't turning left. She wasn't missing the jug handle. She was doing what she was supposed to do, wait for the ambulance to go. And I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm such a jerk. And so, um, the, you know, the ambulance passes, we go. I'm behind her still. Um, 
I don't want to pass her because I don't want to. I don't want her to see. I don't want her to see what's in the back of my car. Um. And to make matters worse, it's not like we were in South Jersey, or it's not like we were in Middletown, or somewhere else. We were literally driving past the road that the church is named after. And I'm not just someone who goes here. I'm like the guy who's up here a bunch of times and stuff. Um, so I'm like, I can't pass her. If she sees this, she's going to think this is what people from Park Church are like. Um, you know, like, uh, I don't want to do that to you, right? So I'm driving, I'm going slow, and I'm thinking, if she sees this and she sees what's in the back of my car, she's going to think to herself, what a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, they talk about patience, they talk about kindness, and this guy's laying on the horn when really I'm waiting for the ambulance to come, which is the right thing to do. I'm like, oh man. So I drive behind her and uh, I go slow, and I can't wait that long. I'm not that patient. So I decide to pass her, and as I pass her, I try to mouth to her. I try to have like a reconciling conversation. I try to mouth to her, like, I'm so sorry, I didn't see, I didn't know. She's not buying it. She doesn't look, she doesn't even acknowledge me. I drive past. Suffice it to say, I mean, she lives in New York, so I'm hoping it goes okay. But, sh <laughs> like, she's never going to come to this church. Sorry. Um, I just thought to myself, as I'm driving by, gosh, what a hypocrite. So, if you're going to take one of these magnets, which we'd love for you to take, take one, but drive a little better than I did that day. Um, this week, as I was preparing for this message, though, the big thing was uh, this hurricane that was coming, right? Hurricane Florence. And it was going to be a big hurricane. It was going to hit the mainland, hit the Carolinas, um, and cause a lot of damage. And I, I started thinking about the last time a hurricane like this hit mainland United States. It was just a few years ago. It was Hurricane Harvey, right, in, um, in Houston, right? And that was like a crazy hurricane. That was insane. The people of Houston, I mean, just the damage, people's homes got destroyed. Um, and there was a lot of stories that came out of it, but one of the stories that struck me, and it's probably because I work for a church and it's kind of like my business, is you might remember this. There's that big, huge mega church down there. It's like one of the biggest ones in the country. And the story with them is there's all these Houstonians who don't have homes, whose homes are destroyed, they need shelters, and this huge mega church that like, just zillions of dollars um, closed its doors and wouldn't allow people in. And they said it was because there was like a, there was flooding and whatnot. It wasn't safe. But like a bunch of like wise guys went to the actual building and took photos. And it was basically like a bunch of puddles. Like it wasn't actually like that. Um, and there was a big back and forth. And they, they, had, they had to make excuses for themselves and whatnot. Um, and whether what happened there was true or not actually doesn't matter as much as um, like the media and social media was ready to pounce on that church. They're thinking, um, these Jesus people are supposed to be all about helping one another, loving their neighbors, opening their doors. They have all the resources in the world. And when their literal neighbors are actually in need, what do they do? They close the doors. What a bunch of hypocrites. I'm sure you have read the stories coming out of Pennsylvania, coming out of the the country, and in fact the world, about um, some of what the Catholic priests are dealing with, right? They're there um, preaching, talking about purity, talking about chastity, talking about um, holiness, and they're doing things to children unspeakable, horrible. Uh, 
there's no wonder people look at that and think, what a bunch of hypocrites. Um, huge sections of American Christianity is known um, not by what they believe, not by their acts of service, but they're known by who they're against, by, by what they judge, and by default, um, by who they judge. And people say, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was all love your neighbor, and how come you're not known by that? You're known by something else. What a bunch of hypocrites. You hear occasionally these big churches, or not even big churches, small churches with these scandals where the pastor gets up front and says, you know, you can't have your hand in the cookie jar. Cookies are bad for you. Taking cookies are really bad for you. Meanwhile, he has his hand in the cookie jar. And the world uh, hears these stories. Media um, puts them on the news. We read about them in social media. And there's no wonder the world thinks, what a bunch of hypocrites. Can, can anything good um, come out of the church, come out of Christianity, Christians, Jesus followers? What we're talking about this morning is going all in on God's mission, on sharing Jesus with our neighbors, with people who don't know him yet. Um, this is largely, this is largely what, this is, this is what we're up against. The deck is stacked against us, and in a lot of ways, we have stacked the deck against us. And so what it does on the ground, like to you day to day, is you're in your break room. Um, the opportunity comes up for you to talk about your church, or for you to talk about your faith, or for you to talk about how you believe in Jesus. And when that opportunity comes up, there's a really good chance what you're going to do is kind of just put your head down and kind of let that opportunity pass by. Because you don't want to get lumped in with those kinds of people. You don't want to get put in the hypocrite camp. And what's worse is um, if you put yourself out there as someone who is a Christian, who does go to church, who does believe in Jesus, um, who likes like, that, um, and then you don't live up, or you don't um, follow through, or you break promises, or you mess up, you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, you're thinking, um, I will further ruin like the church's... Um, witness. Uh, I will be seen as a hypocrite. And so what happens is um, we say nothing. What do we do when this is the case? How can we invite people to see and to follow Jesus when this is our situation, when this is what we're up against? Now this, this scenario this is nothing new to Jesus and to Jesus' followers. This is happening from the very beginning. What we're going to do this morning um, is look at a story in one of the Gospels, in the Gospel of John. There's, there's, there's four books in the New Testament that's, that are about Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the very first chapter of the uh, book that John wrote, he tells a story that really sheds light, that really provides for us a model about how we can invite people to follow Jesus. Um, and it comes from one of Jesus' followers, one of his disciples, a man named Philip. And so this is how John begins the story. John writes, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. That was an area of um, Israel where God's people lived. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. The previous story was about how Andrew and Peter came to follow Jesus. Um, he, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, we could do an entire 
sermon series year on what it means to follow Jesus. Last fall, we did a series just like that. It was called Following Jesus. And if you remember that, if you were here, you can look at it online. Um, the way we kind of talked about following Jesus was in terms of four different words. And the four words were connect, go, serve, and grow. And here at Park Church, kind of what we think about following Jesus is if you're like taking steps in each of those four directions and each of those four words, like you're doing okay. So for instance, um, connect. If you're connecting with Jesus, if you're uh, praying, if you're worshiping him, if you're um, reading scripture, if you're seeking him out, if you're fostering that relationship, like you're on the right track. If you're going, if you're going and sharing Jesus with those who don't know him, you're on the right track. Like serve is the life of being a Christian is a life of service. Not just opening the doors for people on Sunday and not just teaching and park kids, but in your home, in your work, uh, in your neighborhood, amongst your friends, at the lunch. Like, that's where you are meant to serve. Christian life is a life of service. And the fourth is grow. And that's like we talk about it in terms of growing together. How are we helping one another grow? How are we um, kind of receiving that help from others? It's one of the reasons why we do community groups like we do. For a lot of us, though, we get stuck on that second word. It's go. And, and that's really what this series is all about. But we get stuck there, partially because of what I just detailed about kind of like what we're up against. That's one of our problems. That's, that's where we need to grow. That was not Philip's problem, though. Philip had no problem with it. He went headfirst um, into inviting people also to follow Jesus. Um, <clears throat> He was excited about it, and he couldn't wait to share it. And so look at how the story continues. John writes, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him. We have found the one about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. We have found the one, Philip says. There is an excitement there. It's almost like Philip ran up to Nathaniel and said, finally, we found him. He's here. We know who he is. Now, we don't know how Philip knows Nathaniel, um, but clearly he does because when they, when they get to Galilee, it's the first thing he does. He finds Nathaniel and tells him what he's found. He's found Jesus. Now, go back to the break room for a second. Or if you don't work at a place like that, go back to um, the lunchroom or uh, go back to your front yard where your neighbor's in there talking to you, the coffee shop, wherever it is. It might not be that you're not so sure about what other people think about Jesus that's stopping you. It might be that you're not so sure about what you think about Jesus. That's what's stopping you. Philip is clearly excited. But maybe you're not. Maybe your experience of Jesus, maybe your faith um, hasn't been something to get excited about. Or it was at one point, and now it's not. Or it was at one point, and now something has happened, and it's made you turn your back on it. Or it was at one point, but it was so far ago that, it was a, that it's, it's just a distant memory. And it's hard to go into um, our world and share something that we're not genuinely excited about, especially when like, the, deck, the deck is stacked against us, right? Think about the things that are easy for you to share. Um, you know, your favorite movie or the book that you read or the TED Talk that you couldn't wait to share. Um, for me, it's like restaurants. It's actually books and movies and TED Talks and restaurants for me. But um, <laughs> restaurants, right? Like, if you go to the Bonnie Reed in Asbury Park 
and have the green curry mussels over pasta, and people are smiling because they've heard me say this before. If you uh, go there and eat that meal, you will never live life the same again. <laughs> That's how good that is, right? Um, if you see that movie, it was so good. If you listen to that TED Talk or read her book, it's amazing, right? How come we're not that excited about sharing Jesus? If Jesus is the one, how come we're not that excited about that? Let's see why Philip is so excited. Philip is excited because he is the one whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Moses and the law and the prophets. This is all of the stuff in the Old Testament. Um, Philip, Nathaniel, Jesus, Peter, Andrew, they were all Jewish. And uh, in those days, this whole nation was so formed by the ideas in the Old Testament, the prophets, the law, Moses. Um, when Philip talked about this, all of, all of their hopes, all of their promises, all of their dreams were answered in this, in this man, Jesus. And we don't have time to kind of go through and catalog all of those right now. Um, so I'll give you like, I'll kind of give you like the big three in my mind that really kind of um, sum up what he's talking about. Because they connect for us too. The first is there were promises that someday God would make the world right again. Someday God would make things right. Um, you might remember the story of Adam and Eve and the, and, 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 the, and the fruit and the serpent and how it all kind of fell apart after that. Someday God was going to undo that. Someday God was going to make things right. And Philip believed this is the guy who's going to do it. God sent this guy that, so that through him the world becomes right again. Um, and I know that you, that you feel that, that you want that too. And I don't even know a lot of you. But I know that there are things like um, brokenness. There are things like addictions. There are things like depression and mental illness. There are things like, um, like divorces. There are things like lost sons and lost daughters and lost parents and lost siblings that you would love to see turned around, that you would love to see restored, that you would love to see reconciled. And you also are waiting for God to come and do something. Philip believes that all those promises and hopes um, are fulfilled in this guy, Jesus. That's one of the reasons he's excited. The second reason he's excited is because this was a nation that had become hopeless. This was a nation who, um, for them, there was pie in the sky that one day God would do this, but you can't live life off of pie in the sky. For Philip, he believed that Jesus represented actual, real hope that they could grab onto that they could live differently because of, that they could follow. For a lot of us, we, th we think we trust in God. We think we believe um, that God has all of this in control, whatever that means. But for us, we're looking for something to grab onto. And what Philip is saying, what the Gospel of John is saying, is that following Jesus, that putting one foot in front of another to actually walk the path that Jesus took to follow him, that is actually what um, is the tangible expression of hope. That uh, there's, a, there's actually something to hold. There's actually something to grab onto. The coming of Jesus gives hope, real hope, where there was none. And then the third thing that Philip's excited about, um, and this is something that we might not think about very often, but maybe you do. Philip knew, and maybe you know, that all of our relationships with God have been fractured 
by what Scripture calls sin. This is what the Bible describes as like the ways that we have walked away from God, the ways that we have turned our back on God, the ways that we have hurt one another, hurt ourselves, and hurt God. Um, from our end, our relationship with God has been fractured, and we can't ever do what we need to do to fix those relationships. And when Philip um, talks about Jesus like this, finding the one, what he is saying is that this is the guy whom God is going to fix that relationship. All of the stuff that we have to do to maintain our relationship with God, to earn forgiveness, to do the sacrifices, to get forgiveness, um, this is the one through whom God is going to um, eliminate that and reconcile us to himself. Um, and that's why Philip's excited. Now, you might not believe any of that. You might not see that or experience that in your own life. And um, it's, an, it's a message for another day, another time. Um, but Jesus is what you have been looking for too. Jesus is the answer to your hopes and dreams too. He is the fulfillment of everything that you need fulfilled too. And, and following Jesus one foot in front of the other is really the way to experience that. If you haven't experienced Jesus to be anything like that yet, if you're not excited, if that sounds like you, my challenge for you um, is don't, don't be okay with that. Don't, don't just sit there and take that. And don't expect it to magically change. There's, a, there's one foot in front of the other that you have to do to kind of rebuild that relationship. And so um, today, one of the ways you could take a step towards that is by joining a community group. Joining a community group is not going to magically put you in a relationship with Jesus, but what it is going to do is put you in, in multiple relationships with people who can help you walk along that path. Um, so like Paul said, don't be the guy who stays here for a year before getting into one. Try getting into one now and try investing in it. Um, do that today. That's one thing. The second thing is after the service, go to the room next to the welcome desk and talk to one of the leaders there. Talk about what this might look like. Maybe we can set up an appointment with you um, to meet throughout the week. But we want to really help people, lead people in following Jesus. Um, please connect with us and do that. Go to that room. The third thing, if you're too shy for any of that, is just say to Jesus tonight. And you can say to Jesus every day. Just say, Jesus, whatever you did for Philip, however you showed yourself to Philip to make it so that he was so excited, do that for me. Do that for me. Show me the things that I need to like put aside, the things I need to get rid of. Um, show me what steps I need to take. But Jesus, I want to know you. I want to follow you in a way that actually makes a difference. And I need your help to get there. That's something you can do on your own. Why Philip was so excited is because he knew um, following Jesus wasn't something that just happened on Sunday mornings. It wasn't something you thought about for one hour a week and then went home. It was something that actually changed the day-to-day -day of his life. It, it transforms lives. That's why Philip was so excited to share it with Nathaniel. Nathaniel's response um, is just, we're going to know it too well. Because it is the response that this world asks us anytime there's a scandal with the pastor or the priest thing comes out or the churches are closed to people who need it. Um, and his question is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from the church, from Christians, from Jesus, from Jesus' followers? Anything good? In Greek, biblical Greek, um, word order isn't how you construct a sentence, really. Um, in Greek, all of the words kind of sound like Yoda's speaking. 
It's kind of all out of order and whatnot. In biblical Greek, they didn't use um, word order for sentence construction. Um, they used it for emphasis. And so if it was really important, if they wanted it to stand out, they would put it at the beginning of a sentence. And this sentence in Greek, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Um, the way it's constructed is out of Nazareth. Can anything good come? It's like out of where? Out of Nazareth? Something good is coming? That doesn't seem to make any sense. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Nazareth was sort of, um, it was sort of a nowhere town. Um, it wasn't, you know, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. I watched Star Wars last night. Um, it wasn't that. It wasn't known to be a particularly bad criminal place. But what it was was just nowheresville. I mean, it was a nowhere town, barely on the map. No one really knew where it was from. And so, like, Nathaniel's question is, like, from where? Like, are you sure something good can come out of there? There's a good chance Nathaniel grew up probably 10, 15 miles from where Nazareth was. So there could have been, like, a town rivalry there. But, like, in Nathaniel's mind, he's thinking, like, there is no evidence, there's no data to suggest that what you're talking about, the one, could possibly come out of that place. And I want to suggest that I think this is what people in our worlds are saying to. And when we invite them to follow Jesus in the way that we can, um, I think this is part of what they're saying too. There's very little evidence to suggest. There's very little data that points to the fact that, um, that anything good can actually come out of that. Like, going to a church, why would I, why would I, want, to, why would I want to do that? Like, can anything can anything good actually come from there? Um, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, this wasn't the case. That wasn't the scenario. In that world, I mean, if you're down south, actually, we were just down in Florida, like, everyone goes to church down there. But in, in New Jersey, that's not the case any longer, right? This is like kind of what's out there about the church. And so 50 years ago, or if you're down in the south, you don't have to worry about this kind of dynamic as much. But here we do. This is kind of the water we swim in. Whether the evidence is fair or not, the perception is reality enough. Can anything good come from the church, from Christians? Philip's response is just, is, it's just perfect. It's just genius. Look at what he says. Philip said, zip it. Let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> no. Philip didn't actually say that, right? Um, <laughs> But this is kind of the approach that we have a lot of times to people. Like when you have that kind of conversation, it's nope, nope, sorry, you're wrong, and I'm right. You've got to get on board with my program. It's not what Philip said. Philip didn't say, sit down, and I'm going to prove to you my beliefs in this 11-point treatise, right? Like we think, okay, you have these problems with the church, with Christians, with Christianity, with Jesus, you don't believe. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk you through an 11-point plan. That's not what Philip did. I mean, maybe you can do that and you're good at that, but that's not what, that's not what Philip does. Um, he says, of course you think that way, you jerk. <laughs> that's why I'm better than you. And, like, none of us do that as overtly as that, but I think we do that when we have these conversations um, and we just write people off because we know they're wrong. We know they're not enlightened. We think we're better than them. And we kind of write them off and say, well, yeah, you would think that way. Um, and that makes us feel better about ourselves. Definitely, definitely not what Philip does. Um, the other thing Philip doesn't do is he doesn't say, never mind. 
there's no room for doubters like you uh, following Jesus. There's no room for people like you. Philip doesn't say that. This is what, this is what Philip actually says. He just says, come and see. It's, it's an invitation. Come and see. It's not, you're wrong. It's not, your experience doesn't matter. It's not, um, turn your brain off and don't think. It's not, you're stupid for feeling that way. It's not, uh, you're less than for having those experiences. It's, hey, I hear you. Your doubt, your, in this climate, what you've heard, your doubt makes sense. But you just got to come and see. It's, um, it's, I know that uh, experience tells you that nothing good can come from that place. And you're right. It surprised me as well. But lo and behold, I need to tell you about what Jesus has done. I need you to come and see because I think, I think you will be surprised. It's, I understand you don't understand. I didn't either. And in still a lot of ways, I don't understand. But you simply have to come and see what I found. I think it's really good for you. To a doubting and skeptical world who has largely already made up its mind. To the Nathaniel uh, in your life who you would like to invite to come and see and experience Jesus for themselves. If the first step that we take is to just invalidate their experience, to tell them that their feelings are wrong, to tell them why they're wrong for thinking that way, it's never going to deliver success. If we, um, if we motivate, if we do this by, um, by guilt, by, fa- by uh, fear, by shame, that might actually get the job done, but that's not the model that Philip gives. And importantly, that's not the model that John decided to put in his book, because he didn't have to include this. He included this. Rather, Philip's response is warm. It's invitational. It's empathetic. It's compassionate. It's excited, because he wants his friend to experience what he's experienced. And one other thing that this is not, this is not go and see. It's come and see. It's not, look, this is what I found. Go and experience it for yourself. I care about you, but not enough to actually like, invest myself in it. This is come and see. It's come with me and see. Um, it's, I, will, I will walk that path with you. I care about you so much that I'm going to give you some of my time and some of my attention and some of my energy and some of my heart because I want you to see what I've seen here. It's, I know you have your doubts, I know you have um, your skepticism, your questions, and they don't frighten me. I'm going to walk with you in those, and I'm going to seek answers to those things with you. Let's try to find those answers together. It's, come with me, I know you're not perfect, I'm not perfect either, we can do this together. It's, I know it might not make sense to you, but guess what, it doesn't all make sense to me either but I've experienced Jesus and it's worth it to come and see for yourself. Trust me. And the really great thing about um, Philip's response is not just that Philip did it, like Philip's not going rogue here. This seems to be a response that Jesus was on board with too. Look at what Jesus says. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said to him, he said of him, he's truly, here is truly an Israelite in whom, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus sees Nathanael coming, before he's ever met him, and said, now here's a guy in whom there's no deceit, there's no falsehood. Here's a guy in whom there's no room for, um, for a lack of truth. There's no room for half-truth. What Jesus is saying here is, uh, here's a guy who's not going to accept easy answers. Here's a guy 
who's not going to, um, you can't pull the wool over his eyes. No sleight of hand here. And we, we all have a friend who's like that. It's probably someone who gets under your skin, right? Who just, who just won't accept easy answers. Who always has, uh, yeah, but, have you considered it like this? Or, yeah, but, that doesn't make sense because. And this is the kind of guy who is always questioning, always doubting, always looking for the real answers behind the answer that you give or behind the answer that's given. Who has this, like, malarkey meter, if you know what I'm saying, that's just super sensitive, right? And the thing is, Jesus likes these people. Jesus is kind of like, here's a guy who I can't pull the wool over his eyes. Not that Jesus would ever do that, but like, here's a guy who I can't fool. Jesus likes real, honest people who are real and honest with their doubts and their questions and their yeah buts. These are the kind of people who Jesus welcomes to his side. I mean, Nathaniel is a perfect example of that. He's skeptical. He won't settle for half-truths. He needs to know the real answer. Um, there's a guy whose nickname is Doubting Thomas, who was one of Jesus' like, first followers, and he was a guy who was known for doubts. He, he has room at his side for people who are continually messing up. I mean, Peter was the disciple who was like the leader of the disciples, and he screws up time and time again in the New Testament. And he put him in charge. He put people like Matthew, who was a notorious tax collector, which was just like a crook, a criminal job to have. People like Paul. Paul was his most important follower uh, after the original 12. This was a guy who literally killed Christians for a living. There's room for people. I mean, you can't keep killing people. But, like, there's room for people like that in Jesus' side, right? These people, not only... Um, was Jesus comfortable with them and welcoming and inviting towards them? But they felt welcomed. They felt comfortable. They felt invited to his side. And what this means for us as a church and for you is, is two things. One is the person, you're Nathaniel, the person who you want to see, like, invite to come and see Jesus, that person, um, your husband, your neighbor who you've been thinking about this whole time, uh, your coworker, what that means is that their doubts, their skepticism, their critical thinking, um, their questions, it's, they're not too big for Jesus. And that means that they ought not to be too big for us. If we ever become a community uh, of Jesus followers who don't welcome the sort of people who Jesus welcomed, then we cease to be a community that's following Jesus. We might still be a church, but not a church of Jesus Christ. And the second thing this means is that your doubts your skepticism, your questions, Jesus isn't afraid of those either. He's not afraid of those. It's not a problem for Jesus because his welcome, his invitation towards us doesn't hinge on our, um, on our welcome of him, of our getting it right beforehand, of us having it all together. Jesus could have turned Nathaniel away here and said, oh, you have doubts about me? Let me find someone else. That's not what he does, because his welcome doesn't hinge on that. Listen to how this, the story continues. Nathaniel asked him, where did you get to know me? Because he hadn't met Jesus yet. Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before, even before Philip called you. Jesus is looking for us, even before we thought about finding him. Jesus is looking for us in our doubts, in our skepticism, in our questions, even before um, we've even thought about coming to see him. Jesus is like, I'm Jesus. I know you. 
I found you before you found me. I've known you all your life. I knew you before you were born. I've called you by name and you are mine and I want nothing for you but life. And in the midst, in the midst of his doubt, that's what he heard. I want you to think about this for yourself or for the person, for the Nathaniel in your life. In the midst of your um, walking away, of your trouble, of your brokenness, remember, he's looking for you. He knows you. He knows what's going on inside, and he wants to give you life. He wants you to follow him to give you that life. Nathaniel uh, and Jesus wrap up the story like this. It says, Nathaniel replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Uh, I see what Philip's saying. Like, you're right. You are the son of God. You are the king of, Is- of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. Jesus is saying, um, if you think the fig tree thing was great, just wait. Just wait until you see. Wait until you see what I do. Wait until you see what I can do in your life, Nathaniel. Wait until you see what I could do in the lives of the people around you, of the hungry, the poor, the broken, the lost around you. Wait until you see that eventually I will give up my own life for the sake of the world. I will give up my own life so that each and every person uh, from here on out in history would have their relationship with God restored. Wait until you see that I will be raised from the dead and uh, I will defeat death so that death is no longer the thing that you have to fear most. Wait until you see these greater, wait until you see these greater things. For those of us who have experienced the sort of life change, the sort of transformation that the power of following Jesus has in our lives, we know exactly what um, he's talking about here. For those of you um, who don't know that or who have forgotten that, take a step in following Jesus today. This is why uh, this matters so much. It's why Jesus involves us in his mission, calling us to reach out to people, to invite them to come and follow him. Because when people meet Jesus, when people decide to follow Jesus, good things, great things, life-changing, world-changing things happen. And Nathaniel experienced a sliver of that on this day. And he would experience it fully. But he experienced a sliver of it that day, all because Philip didn't put his head down and say, oh gosh, you're right, Nazareth. Philip extended a simple invitation to a doubting friend who believed that nothing good can come from there. Come and see. So go back to the break room, the lunchroom, the front yard, your neighbor, the coffee shop, wherever you have your fill-up opportunities. How can you extend this invitation? And I mean like you personally, your story, your history, your life, your gifts, your fears. How could you do it? For some of you, it might be... Um, simply inviting someone to come and see for themselves in the same way that, in, in the same way that you saw for yourself. Maybe you were invited back to church for the first time after 10 years, 20 years of being away from it because it just didn't work anymore. Um, and saying to someone, I know your past experience with church, with faith, wasn't any good, but I want you to come again and see for yourself because I think it really will be different this time. Um, side note, church leaders, um, members here at this church, this is on us. 
to make it so that when people enter this community, what they meet is Jesus. What they meet is the real Jesus who can change lives. And they don't meet um, our pettiness. They don't meet our, our, our just be jerks, our blowing past people with park church magnets. Um, that they actually come to this church, come to this community, and have an opportunity to actually meet Jesus who can change their lives. Um, that's on us. Maybe the way that you first saw for yourself wasn't on a Sunday morning, but it was the way that you were invited into a group of Christian friends. And the way they cared for, loved for each other, kind of changed the way that you thought about Christians. Um, maybe that's what you could do. You could invite someone into a group of your Christian friends who you know, man, if they get in this, they will see things differently. They'll be able to come follow Jesus someday. Um, Maybe you saw for yourself because someone who loved you, who was following Jesus already, made a decision to walk alongside of you, to kind of hold you by the hand and walk along, and they walked your path for a while. But slowly but surely, they turned your ship around, and they turned you onto the path of following Jesus. Um, speaking of turning ships around, um, it's a good idea to have a sense of what kind of ship you're turning, right? Um, a speedboat or a cruise ship. For some people, it's a speedboat, quick and easy to turn around. It's a flashy story, right? It's, it's something you want to see on video someday. It's amazing. There's fireworks. Um, life, life gets changed, that sort of thing. For a lot of us, though, it's like turning around a cruise ship. Um, for a lot of us, it's a slower turn. It's incremental. But someday down the line, someday down the road, you're gonna, that ship's going to be going in a different direction. It's going to be going um, the direction of Jesus. For some of you, it's as simple as uh, sharing your story. You might not have the theological, biblical acumen to walk someone through the gospel or to like, prove faith to someone or, ever, or whatever, and you might have that ability, and that's a good thing. But you might not have that, that ability, but everyone has the ability to tell their own story. Um, everyone has that ability, and that's something, that's something that you could do. Um, for others, and this is something that we want to talk about more, and we'll talk about it next week, for others, the way that you might invite someone to come and see Jesus for the first time is simply to invite them to serve Jesus, to invite them to serve alongside of you, whether or not they know who or what they're serving, right? Um, we had a guy organize the painting of Park Kids. If you haven't been in there, it's painting a new color and whatnot. Um, the way he did it was to invite a bunch of guys who were not Christians are not church guys. Um, they're, just, they're just guys who he knew. And he invited them in um, to come and paint that um, room so that your kids are in a room that's like painted well, doesn't have scuff marks all over the wall. Um, they don't know what they're doing, but they were exposed a little bit to what we're about here at Park Church. And that's a good step. A lot of people don't want to hear about church. They don't want to hear about the Bible. and They don't care about God. But they're willing to pick up a paintbrush or a hammer and help someone um, who needs help. That could be one way to invite people to come uh, and to follow Jesus. So I want, you, I want you to think this week. I want you to think about what that invitation might look like for you, for you to extend it. And the simple challenge for you is to take a step towards extending it this week. You could actually invite someone to come next Sunday. You could actually tell them about your faith. Um, you could simply begin a story with like my friend from church rather than my friend, right? Because we, we kind of do that. But saying my friend from church um, opens the door to talking about your church. If you're not comfortable with any of that, you could take a magnet 
and put it on the back of your car. And when you park next to the guy at the soccer game, um, be able to talk about that. But drive a lot better than I did. Um, last week's challenge was to take a step to love your neighbor in need in a new way. Maybe this week it's to invite that neighbor to come and see Jesus in a way that you can. Take that one step towards being a Philip to the Nathaniel in your life. Take the risk. Risk saying the wrong thing. Risk the embarrassment. Um, risk the vulnerability of putting yourself out there and being rejected. Because the bottom line is, when you're able to do that, not only will your faith grow, but you will be extending um, the invitation of a lifetime to someone who, whether they know it or not, to someone who needs it, who needs to know and follow Jesus and see him do greater things in their life as well. When we do this together as a church, when we're able to take this next step, um, not only as individuals, but as a gathering of individuals, um, we will take that one more step towards going all in on God's mission uh, to share his love with the world around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your grace that welcomes people, that um, isn't afraid of doubt or cynicism or fear or but that you welcome us to yourself. Really no questions asked. God, we pray that you would come back into our lives. For those of us who have kind of um, who have kind of lost it, we pray that you would come back into our lives in a way that changes things, that transforms things, that shows us who you truly are. Lord, um, help us, gosh, help us to follow you. Call us, show us what that next step might look like. Lord, we pray that you would rekindle that fire for a relationship with you. God, but mostly um, make it so that we can extend this invitation to come and see. We can extend that to other people. Show us how to do that. Give us inspiration. Uh, give us creativity to get there. God, we pray that you would um, continue to move in this community, form this community to be uh, a group of people through whom others come to know you and come to follow you themselves. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us, that you're with us always, and that you are totally trustworthy. In your name we pray. Amen.